Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Wednesday Night Live. This is Ron Crawford coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. And as always, it is a tremendous blessing to have the privilege of reaching out to my congregation here in Dallas at the Father's Church, but also to greet all of our saints' family, wherever it is that you may be partaking of this time that God has given us together. So welcome. And I, I pray that you, wherever you are, whatever you're facing, you are absolutely confident in the presence of God. I, I don't normally begin a broadcast in this way, but I am aware in my heart as I prayed this morning that there are several of you that are being confronted by things that are a bit challenging, to say the least. For some, it may be a physical attack that's coming against your body. There could be any number of things that have arisen at this time. I want to assure you that God is with you and that you're not only going to overcome this current battle, but you're going to emerge victorious and better than you were before it started. How many times we have said this from the scripture that very often our enemy will come in one way because he knows there is a sevenfold blessing that is immediately ahead of the believer. In fact, if we read the Bible at all, we recognize that wherever Jesus was presenting a new thing or a new concept, there always seemed to be a voice of what the Scripture calls an unclean spirit that would rise up to try to stop him. And unclean spirits are literally, literally, those that attempt to block something, to block a proper flow, to block a momentum. And you have to recognize that the enemy's major tactic is to convince you that all is lost. And if he can, encourage you to stop before the blessing comes or the victory comes. And if he can convince you that you've been defeated, then you will do a great service to him and his kingdom by not participating with God to welcome the blessing that God has intended. So I proclaim over you a victory. This is an unprecedented moment in the history of the church. We are living in prophetic days, more so than at any other time. The, uh, the circumstances that surround us uh, as, a, uh, as a global entity, as a church, are aligned with what the scriptures clearly state will be the conditions of the end time. N and not just the conditions but the operative measures in place technologically, ideologically, and so forth that have never been in place before now. So we're living in an unprecedented time, and God has been teaching us, and maybe not teaching us, he has been directing our attentions to consider themes in the scripture that have to do with timing, themes that he has painstakingly taught us about from the word over the years. And, uh, you know, this past Sunday, we talked about the hour, the hour of the Lord and what that entailed. And there was also discussions of the seasons of God and how we're to rejoice. And um, I, I believe that all of us, I know that all of us are in the overall mystery of God. And we pray as, as Pentecostals in the Spirit 
what the scripture says when you do that, among many things, but when you do that particularly, you are praying concerning the mysteries of God that are being sequentially revealed in the timing of God. We are in the chronos of God, but we are also sensitive to whenever there's a presence of a kairos moment. But with that, we have each of us a divine identity. Why he put us at this, in this world at this moment and why he caused us to have the giftings and the capacities that we have. We're not here just to exist and wait for the rapture and do a good thing every now and then. We are called to be his called out ones, the ecclesia. We're called to be the elect, the eclectos. We're called to be saints, whether um, we accept that calling or not. And the saints are a people who, who believe with God that his purpose will be fulfilled, no matter what condition it might be in uh, at this current time, through darkness or through the wickedness of mankind or through uh, iniquities or through simply an abandonment where things have fallen into unrec almost unrecognizable disrepair. The saints believe God for the restoration of what he has ordained to be. And so we come to a passage that Jesus chose uh, for his first sermon in, in Nazareth. Now, he may have preached prior to this in the first 30 years of his life. Um, he may have had times where he would um, speak about the word. We know he did that at 12 years old. The Bible clearly says he was talking to the doctors of the law. But this was a taking of the scroll of Isaiah, turning to the 61st, um, th that which would be in the 61st chapter in our Bibles, and then he read that, and he said, this day the scripture's fulfilled. This is, uh, this is something that is such a glorious writing from Isaiah. And I believe that we are gaining a fresh breath from that passage Today, So let's look at that. Let's turn to Isaiah 61, and let's consider verses 1 through 6. And in fact, um, we may just stop along the way. At, at this point, since we're going, we, there's no teaching sheet today, because we're just in this one passage. Um, and instead of just reading the first six verses, we could read the whole chapter, but the first six verses, uh, we'll, we'll just read a bit and then stop and, and clarify some things, okay? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord, Yahweh, has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Now that's a fourfold progression. You can you can look at those words in your Bible programs, and you could deduce for yourself how how that that fits. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because okay. Now you say, well, isn't that a fivefold? Well, it could technically be, but it's really saying you know the Spirit is moving now. And he has specifically initiated what he's doing in me. And because of that, note that because, the Lord's anointed me to do, preach the good tidings to the meek, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. So you can just look at it. Don't be flustered about it, but just see what God is saying. Now, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Acceptable here is a really unique word because it, it invariably means uh, 
to receive some measure of good from a superior. And that is such a wonderful perspective. In the New Testament, the word is used, uh, used there just simply means to receive. In the Greek, it doesn't really um, reflect from a superior, but it, it is to receive something that is good. But in the Old Testament, this means from a superior. And of course, that means that this year, this time frame, uh, which I believe we're in, and we don't want to confuse this with the hour of the Lord because that's more intrinsic, that's more personal, it's more um, what is your specific um, uh, identification and how you're going to step into the stage of the Lord, you're preparing for it. You, just as we saw with Jesus, he was teaching, he was healing, he was having, there were signs and wonders around him, he was bringing disciples, he was teaching, but yet in it he said, look, my, my, my hour hasn't yet come, but this is a time frame, this passage is a time frame that God has ordained and he is releasing it to us. I, I believe we're in this time frame. Just as Jesus was, um, the time frame of all time frames, uh, which made possible for us to move in this. But um, this acceptable year of the Lord, I believe this transition we've talked about, is, um, is part of this. And... Um, for Jesus, he was saying, okay, you know, 30 years I've been on the earth. Now it's now it's time. God has ordained me to come forward. And the process leading toward my hour begins. The acceptable year of the Lord. The day of, uh, uh, the acceptable year of the plan of God. The day of vengeance of our God. Vengeance, this word, was invariably used to speak about, uh, you know, like it was used a lot about Israel when they committed adultery with the demons and the demonic religions that surrounded them. You know, the curse of Balaam. Uh, you know, I can't curse them, but I'll tell you how to destroy them. You let them intermarry with all these other belief systems, and they'll lose their their identity in you, God. Um, so the vengeance, this was mostly used to speak about God coming, uh, the heart of God coming and stating enough of this. I've had enough of it. This is different than the jealousy of God. Vengeance and jealousy, two different things. The jealousy of God the kenah is to say, this really belongs to me, and I'm not going to rest until it comes back, until it is redeemed, until it is functioning. That's how we partner with God. The vengeance of the heart of God is something a bit different. It is God saying, you have been unfaithful to me. You have given my love in my heart to another and I am furious about this what a thing that is the vengeance of Elohim I uh, I wonder that would be a that would be an excellent teaching you know some people think oh God's just he always has that wonderful smile on his face he doesn't get irritated about anything <laughs> Wake up. Don't be like those who tear out passages of Scripture that you're uncomfortable with. God never liked it at all when Israel was unfaithful to him with the demons, with the, with the, uh, the Baals and the Dagons and the, uh, the other demonic entities that all of the ites were worshiping. He never, he never took that lightly. 
I don't want to bring up a bad memory because if I say this, you know, some of you just think about that through the rest of the teaching. But I don't know if you've ever had that happen where you gave your heart and it was a mutual thing. It wasn't just you giving it and somebody not accepting it. That's a different thing entirely. People can still get fired up over that, which is borderline uh, justifiable. But um, if you've ever had someone be unfaithful to you, it is crushing. And I can't even begin to imagine what the heart of God feels. He, He uses these terms. So the acceptable year in the plan of God is then touched by the vengeance of the heart of God. Do we see this in the world today? My goodness, I've got, I, I can see those who once were like what the New Testament says. They tasted of the heavenly gift. They, they sampled the power of the world to come. And, and now they're, they're, they're de, they've deconstructed that and put that aside with a grin on their face and say, oh, there are others I'm just not fulfilled. There's more for me out there. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like an unfaithful lover. And um, this is a day where that is rampantly being depicted. And the vengeance of the heart of God is, is a part of this progression. Now, I'm not saying what course that will take. Um, I'm not saying, I'm not advocating violence, I'm not advocating any of those things. But what I'm saying is that this is a very potent word, and it is affixed to um, the heart of God. So, we just need to know that God is seeing what's happening, and he's he's not blessed by it. To comfort all that mourn. This is our friend Necham. And remember, we've taught about this in the past, and we've talked about how this is to commune with God and to hear His voice and and to um, really be not a counselor to God, but it's it's very akin, very much akin to what it means to be in supplication, as Noah was with God in the pathway of grace to those who mourn not bellyache not godly sorrow not woe is me but those who say you know i see what is happening and it just hurts have you felt that recently have you felt that over the past year you know just uh, the other day and I, I recognize this is a temporal reference but Yesterday, I was really concerned as I was watching what was happening in Israel. Now, we don't worship Israel. Too many in the body of Christ do that. And you're really almost like the Pharisees when you do that. We should worship God. And, but we respect what he promised concerning his people. Uh, and I see hundreds of missiles being launched into Israel and then Israel having to defend themselves and then being mocked in the press um, for, for, for the casualties that come in response to being attacked. And I think, I remember a year ago, we were talking about the Abraham Accords and the Arab, many of the Arab nations coming into peace agreements and functional um, nation-to-nation agreements with Israel for the first time. And now we see this. It's a pulling back. It's supporting of uh, radical Islamic regimes. And I, I grieve over that. This is not about politics. This is about knowing who you are. It's not about, oh, you know, we... 
we're against this group, we're against that group. No, we're for what God says. And he who blesses Israel, I will bless. And so it grieves me, just in this one instance, to see these kinds of things. And we pray. We recognize that if you read the Scripture in the time of the end, praying for the peace of Israel does not, or the peace of Jerusalem does not mean that everything's going to be a Norman Rockwell painting over there. Things are going to get rough. What is the peace of Israel? It is the fulfillment of what God ordained for this world. And um, I see these things happening, and I, it could be a mourning. And, and at, the, at this point, we need to learn how to necham before God on behalf of the things he's feeling and the things that we see that are... Uh, um, I'm looking, searching for the best word, for violations of what he really wants to have happen. Or things that progressed and then the enemy pushed back on. Uh, that's, a, that's a godly mourning. It's not throwing your hands in the air and saying, well, what are we going to do? But it's communing with God. So those three things, the acceptable year, God is releasing an assignment for us in a time frame. And we are we're recognizing that his heart is going to move and do some things on behalf of areas and conditions that have grieved his love. And when we see and feel those things, the burden of the Lord as it is, we mourn, but not in a despairing, oh my, what's going to happen? Or not in a judgmental way, but to say, God, How can we partner with you as intercessors to see what you want done? So then we look at this progression in verse 3. Let's read it. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, there's that mourning again, to mourn in the dry and twisted place, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. This is such a poetic, prophetic basket of goodies from God. Every one of these words is prolific. But I want us to just focus on uh, four parts of these declarations. The first is, to appoint them. If you're mourning in Zion, if you're mourning in the the dry and twisted place that needs to be welcoming the coming of God, uh, to appoint is our old friend Sum, which has its parallel in the New Testament, Kami, which means you recognize that this is a placement from God. This is a not just a calling but a specified placement. So we talk about knowing the acceptable year of Yahweh, the vengeance of Elohim, and the, uh, the comfort, the, the commune with God concerning mourning as what God is doing. Well, we accept the appointment to partner with God in this. That's what it means to appoint What about to give unto them beauty for ashes? Beauty is is described mostly in the Old Testament as a a headdress, the the headdress of the high priest. It it could be a turban. You take the blonde, I'll take the one on the turban. It could be some something that identifies that you have been given not just authority which is more of a a shoulder position positioning the epitaphs and the shoulders represent government and authority but the headdress says that you are really representing the head god himself 
And this beauty for ashes means that you are, are really at one with God in things that have either been destroyed or things that are uh, made as a sifting capacity. Now, you could even also say, maybe, the ashes represent um, an offering to God. Um, you know, people would put ash upon their head when they're asking God to, to restore. Um, but the, the point here for us is that we, first of all, have an appointment. And secondly, we have been given not only authority, but a supervisory role representing God. And that is, that's an amazing thing. Then you have the oil of joy for mourning. We talked about this on Sunday. We talked about it on Tuesday, the 11th, on Saints Radio. And the oil of joy was um, is also attributed to mourning. But it is... It, the oil of joy was an anointing that came at a celebratory feast. You can look it up. And it, it signified triumph up to that point. It acknowledged the overcomer, and it, uh, it, uh, it applauded the accomplishments. But it also positioned for going forward. So you have an appointment, you have an official recognition, and then you have this point of anointing based upon your faithfulness and what you you have been privileged to to partner with God into that point and looking forward to the new that's an incredible thing and i i encourage you if you did not hear that teaching which i'm sure many of you have not you can hear the teaching that was the bulk of the Saints radio broadcast from May 11th. Uh, you, you need to hear that. But here it is mentioned. Um, the garment of praise, or looking forward, because praise looks forward. Thanks is a reflection on what has happened and where you are in, in God at the time and uh, your gratefulness to him for who he is. But praise looks forward. The garment of praise with the spirit of heaviness. Heaviness, remember, from past teachings, largely signifies a dimness of the eye or a, a lack of perspective. Spirit of heaviness is not a weightiness. It's an occlusion that causes people to think, oh, woe is me, there's nothing ahead, or I can't see it. So the garment of praise is, is an empowerment of God that says, you need to be looking ahead. The joy set before you. You need to be praising. Praise waits for you in the dry, twisted place. You need to be declaring what God is doing. Not what you think he should do, but what he's put in your heart that he's going to do. And this will dispel those attempts of the enemy to dim your vision. And, and without vision, the people perish. And that's what a garment of uh, a, a spirit of heaviness tries to do. So let's keep looking. You will be called trees of righteousness. This is our old buddy Kara, which is um, the fact that where you're being called to serve, then to establish a tree of righteousness is a place where God has put you. It's, it's something that you came upon from him and accepted to serve him there, even though it wasn't your initial place. It's, it's the, the bird that sits on the nest of a, another bird and you you 
you look over that nest, even though those weren't your eggs to begin with. And, and really, that's where we are. We're called to serve God. He ordained for us to have the, the, the privilege of partnering with him in it, where we are. But it was not that we dreamed it up. See, the church is too much like this. We learn about faith and we think, well, I'm going to go where I find a, a point, a blessing, and then I'm going to ask God to bless it. I know I've been there. I've heard that. I, I used to believe that. God's way is to follow him, to take up our cross and follow him wherever he leads us. And when we come to that point, we say, God, I'll be faithful here. I'll establish your cross here. I will stand in the gap here. And it's your calling, not mine. I'm here to partner with you. I'm here to serve you. I'm not here asking you to bless me. I'm here to bless you. And then the blessing will be mine. That's God's way. It's what Jesus said, not my will but thine be done. You think about that for a moment. Now, I recognize that Jesus is fully, fully God. So we're not talking about God's little kid running around, you know, there's two gods. But don't you think that Jesus wanted mankind? Jesus as God, since God created mankind for the privilege that we have of partnering with him. Don't you think that was Jesus' will? Of course it was. But he typified for us as sons, not my will, but thine be done. And I've come to do the will of him who sent me. Well, isn't that Jesus' will too? Of course it was, as God. But as man, he was showing us we need to be willing to go where he says to go and to assert, I've come to do your will. That's this calling. And I love that. Look at verse 4. They shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. All right, let's, let's look at this in a different way than we normally would. All the words here are significant. But for the sake of time in this one lesson, let's look and see. Um, the old wastes. Old is something that has been hidden or has vanished. It doesn't mean decrepit. You know, one of the things I love about traveling is to go to places that there where there are ruins of ancient civilizations. Um, I I can remember God giving us the privilege of traveling in the throughout the world and seeing things like the Colosseum in Rome, and you you see the various things that are that are there. The 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 tribute to how the the treasures of Jerusalem paid for the building of that. that. That was stunning to stand there and see that or to walk through the, the house of Clement of Rome and to go down into the lower places and recognize that Christians met there. Perhaps even the Apostle Paul taught there. That's not what this word means. That's antiquity. This is something that is hidden, that even has vanished. Maybe that man has, mankind has never, even eye has not seen, you know. So we see that factor. What about the former desolations? Former here is um, the first or the highest, the priority, the sharp thing that is the, the apex 
And so you have, first of all, God taking you to something that man has not envisioned and then directing you to the, the, the highest measure of significance of that place for him. That's, that's very interesting. The um, repair the waste cities. Waste is our old friend Horeb. It means drought or dry, but it's the same word. You can look it up as Sinai. It's where Moses received uh, the, the, the tablets of the commandments. Um, you can look this up. I mean, it's very clearly even in the King James. And so God is, is taking us to a, a divine encounter of the highest order from him where he's, he's desirous of communing with us giving us his directives where we are hidden in the cleft of the rock and his hand cover us covers us and he's going to fulfill his his glorious measure of uh, of what he wants to do i think that's that is an incredible concept there i mean it's it's, it's amazing uh, to me, but it's a dry place, a place of, of drought, very, very similar in intent to Zion, not specifically the same. And I recognize that Horeb specifically described that those mountains there, um, Sinai, where Moses went up, and uh, the people saw the glory, and Moses came down, and his face was glowing. But it also has a direct application. It, it becomes a, a word that is applied to anything that is not anything, not anything. But it's a word that is described to a dry, a significant dry place that has been cut off from its supply of water. That's, that's incredible incredible thing and it's it's called the uh, this describes cities i believe god is going to um manifest that to us in 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 a number of ways in this acceptable year and then uh the desolations of many generations the desolation, des, uh, desolation there is um, amazement, appalling, to be stunned. And, and I think from the perspective of heaven, from the perspective of, uh, perspective of the angelic, you look upon what God, the perfect one, intended and to look upon from generation to generation that beautiful thing just being fallow and ugly, it's stunning. It's amazing. It's, it, it's, it's, it's appalling. So let's look at this progression. Let's remind ourselves. We're, let's just go back from the beginning. We are partnering with God. Uh, we are. We recognize that this is His acceptable time. It's a gift from Him, and that His heart is going to manifest itself for what belongs to Him. And we're 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 called to um, to be with Him as partners. We have been placed in a certain location. Uh, called to a point of assignment. God is causing us in the spirit realm to be seen as someone who is not just given authority, but somebody who is, is acting as his priest, as his representative. 
and and it's 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 an amazing privilege. We are at the feast where God is acknowledging the things we've been faithful in, the small things, and now there's there's a higher measure of assignment that's coming, and we're being anointed for that. Uh, we are being given a garment, a mantle, as it were, that is designed to break through into the new. Now, the oil of joy, joy, as we've studied, there's so many things. It's everywhere. This is like going through the marriage supper. I mean, no matter how full you get, there's always two or three baskets and, and plates that you think, oh, man, I didn't eat that. Joy is the privilege of partnering with God and bringing forth what he wants. That's your strength. The, that joy of partnering with Yahweh is your strength. And the joy that is set before us is something that we use as our motivation to keep moving. But here is a garment that says your job is to be prophesying and to singing and declaring what is coming and keeping that as your perspective. Don't get bogged down in a spirit of, of where the, the God of this world blinds the minds. Don't just judge things on their appearance. We walk by faith, not by sight. And that's, that's, uh, that spirit of heaviness we're not going to have anything to do with. And boy, is there a lot of that around today. I mean, you can't, you can't look at a newspaper or something on the Internet or um, wherever you get your daily dose where you're told how horrible the world is, how horrible the United States is, how horrible are you because of the color of your skin. And, and you know, again, it's, 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 it's just a hammering hammering designed to make you tuck your head down as a people, not just white people or black people or brown people or whatever color people you are. It's, it's, it's designed to make everybody look down. Well, we need to lift up our heads and look, look toward what God is wanting to do. So that's a garment of praise. And we're going to establish a tree of righteousness that is um, was not our goal from the beginning, but it's where God's called us. And then we're going to also be able to see those things that have been vanished and hidden. Um, we're going to see the focal point of them and believe for them. We're going to meet with God in the dry and drought place, and God is going to unite us with his hand, and we will emerge as the people of God to see cities transformed, and we will, we will walk with God to, to see the glory of God in places where through the generations it has been appalling that the glory has not been welcomed. What a thing. So you go back through this again. I mean, it's just meditate on this. Meditate on this. God says it's time. We being equipped. And we're going forward. Those three factors are all in the first part of this this 61st chapter of, of Isaiah. Verse 5, Strangers will stand and feed your flocks. The sons of the alien will be your plowmen and your vine dressers. Now, we're not speaking colonialism here. We're not enslaving anybody. The places where we're going um, are really to welcome the kingdom and to encourage disciples to rise up and take dominion where God has placed them in the indigenous uh, locations where they have been called to serve him. It says, your flocks 
and your vine dressers. And really, we established earlier that it's not ours to begin with. It's God's. These people will be serving him. Yes, we are privileged to bring the message. But these ones are serving him. You will be named the priests of the Lord. Men shall call you ministers of our God. You know, here again, Kara, we're, we're called to be the mediator of the plan of God. That's, that's phenomenal. And we will be ministers of his heart. Think about that. We take a stand where his plan leads us. And we stand in that gap and believe for the, 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 the hedge of the Lord to be fulfilled so that vitality and population, it's the Peretz and Peratz principle, that's how we can rebuild the cities. You know, you think about it. You're repairing the waste cities. Now, we're called to stand in the gap and make up the hedge so that there can be a breakthrough the breaker anointing, as we've taught many times, the parats, the breakthrough, cannot and will not happen unless you're standing in the gap, the parats, and the city is restored. We've seen what happens in our nation um, recently. Over the past year, amazingly, when the rule of law and order are gone. When the people who were responsible to stand in the gap philosophically and from a uh, legal standpoint abandon their post, chaos rules. And you see sections of Minneapolis, Portland, Oregon, Seattle, where people, neighborhoods, business areas are just destroyed. All those peaceful protests, burned out buildings. Who's going to go in there and invest now? Oh, I guess Uncle Sam will. They'll throw a bunch of uh, grants. But if, if you don't change the system, if you don't reestablish what's right, you're just throwing good money after bad. That's, that's a demonstration of Peretz and Peratz. Righteousness cries out in the streets. Wisdom cries in the streets. Those that call good bad and bad good are ruling. And who will invest in that? Who will live there? Only the, the people who have no, no choice in the matter. And I, you feel sorry for those folks. So if we're going to see what God wants... We're called to take a stand and to say, let your kingdom come, your will be done. God is going to be doing that through his people. And we will be recognized, the saints, as those who accepted this mandate from God kara it for the plan of God, the plan of Yahweh. But the thing that really sustained us is that we're ministers of the heart of God, of Elohim. The one who earlier in this passage we see how the heart of God in verse 2 is aggrieved and is going to do something about reclaiming what he loves. So, then the rest of this passage is, is terrific. You can read it. 
Um, we don't have time today, but for your shame you have double. For confusion they shall rejoice in their portion. In their land they'll possess the double everlasting joy for them. And, and it goes on. But the operative identities and capacities are, are here for us. So we talk about the acceptable year which Jesus read before his hour had come. We, we are in a time frame where we're preparing, we're seeing these things that the scripture details being played out in our lives. The sons, the saints, don't they're, they're not babies. They're not novices. The, the, the oil of joy is something that comes to a veteran who has overcome by the power of the Lord by standing faithfully and um, who is now positioned to go forward into these things we've been talking about. So some of you need to wake up and recognize who you are in who he's called you to be, who you are in God. And don't give place to, to ungodly sorrow. Don't give place to the, what the world says. Rise up and be the mature one that God has called you to be. It's up to you. At this point, you don't need your daddy behind you telling, okay, honey, you can do it. Come on, now you can do it. Let me lay hands on you. Let me break this off of you. You stand. You're to be the breaker offer. You are to be the one who says, come on, let's go. You're the one that is to be raising up these places through the power of God. Now, the challenge comes. You know, Moses came to a point like this and he had been faithful. He had seen God move. But the, the, the objective that he'd given his whole life to was yet in front of him. And he, he gave place to what he saw around him. Same with Elijah. I don't want to be that way. Those were great people of God. I don't want to come to this point where God is expecting me to be what he's called me to be. And to be, as the Apostle Paul said, is one who has such need, uh, such need of milk or itching ears or... Yes, we should be at the oracle of God, ministering on behalf of the Thesaurus, but we've got to be babied. Oh, yeah, I know there are horrific things that, that the enemy is trying to release on the world. I know that, as we've said, there are spiritual um, factors that are in place that have never been moving the way they are. I know that. We felt that. We, we see it prophesied in the Scripture. We felt out of the enemy's storehouse that he is, is what the Bible says in the time of the end, he will come with great ferocity because he knows his time is short. You either believe that in the word or you toss it. I choose to believe it. Don't read over it real fast and pretend it's not there. I was listening to a preacher when I got home from church on Sunday I was turning over to hear um, the current international news because I recognize we, we're about to be launched into the world in a way that even though we've been to dozens of nations by the directive of God, we're about to be launched as saints into the world in ways that 
are are going to be uh, I don't even know of a word to describe it phenomenal and so one of the stations that I would hear on a Sunday morning had sold their time slot to a preacher and this guy was a good man I, I value what they're doing winning the loss but he was he made the mistake of being trying to teach on the end times and some of the things he was saying, I thought, that's ridiculous. I'm not being critical of him. I'm just pointing out that his assessments were not in alignment with what the Word of God says, and they were, they were not at all in alignment with what God is doing right now. And he was basically telling the church things about the Antichrist that were not true. He was telling the people you're you're going to be out of here before this starts to happen and i'm i'm thinking what is your motive to be saying that what is what is your motive to be saying that you're here at this acceptable year of the lord all these things are happening around you and you're saying you're not going to see him well, you open your eyes you see him right now <laughs> and and i think for for the saints who who God has blessed be his name, led you into deeper things. You're pioneers of his work, of his word. Awaken, receive this anointing of the oil of joy and be ready for what is coming. Do we understand everything that's in the, in the end? time scriptures, the eschatological scriptures? Of course not. We, we walk by faith. But what we do understand, we must take responsibility for and not be AWOL and not convince ourselves that we're conscientious, conscientious objectors or we're neutral. As much as we love the Swiss people, there is no neutrality in the things of the spirit realm. You're not going to be able to make chocolate and invest gold for the nations in this battle. You you got to be you got to be ready. And I I I release this scripture this passage to you at a time where God has been emphasizing his timing, his seasons, the hour of our identity as saints and as individuals, which God is preparing us for and about to launch us into. This acceptable year of the Lord has, of course, this was played out in Jesus' life. And I would, I would, proclaim to you that there have been many times where the acceptable year of the Lord has been brought forward and these principles are utilized. But now we come to what I believe are the end of days. And maybe as Churchill said, this may not be the... Um, the beginning of the end, which I think it is, but at least it's the end of the beginning. <laughs> think about that one. Um, we are we're in unparalleled days and times that the prophets looked to. The cloud of witnesses was watching. But mostly and most vitally, our Heavenly Father has seen fit to cause you and me to have the privilege of serving him now. So let's do that. How about it? Are you willing? I, I ask the Father to cause these scriptures, his words, to find their place in you and that you would open your heart to what he is calling you to be and to do and may you commune with him and not be afraid 
not not be reticent, but to willingly say, here am I, send me. I, I speak blessing over your life, and I, I pray that in these coming days you will have glorious times of commune with God and that you will find his word as a treasure in your heart. Thanks for tuning in. May God bless you, and we'll look forward to the next time that we can be together. Until then, goodbye.